right, and we're live. Welcome back to the Life Leadership and Pursuit of Wilderness podcast. Sorry I didn't get the episode up quick enough. I've just had a lot of stuff going on, uh, but I did stick to my promise. I've got my buddy Daniel Bowman in here. Uh, we're going to talk about um, basically what's going on in the life of Daniel Bowman. D- Daniel, you want to introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, well, like Evan told you all, my name is Daniel Bowman, and I live up here in North Georgia as well, up here in Cleveland, Georgia. Um, and I, I guess you could say, own and operate a uh, fly fishing guide service um, right here in North Georgia and also in western North Carolina, East Tennessee, uh, where we take guys out on guided fly fishing tours and you know charters, different kinds of stuff. So, but yeah, that's a little bit about me. Well, that's awesome. And how old are you? 21. So. 21 years old, ladies and gentlemen, and this guy has got it together in the outdoors <laughs> industry. So tell me a little bit about why you started this guiding company. Yeah, well, I guess um, really the outdoors has always been a huge passion of mine, and it always has been in my family as well. I grew up, my dad was always, you know, he was always hunting, always fishing, was real big into He was a, actually a, did the semi-pro bass tournament tour for a little while through the southeast and um i guess he just really got into it from that and uh just my love of fishing in the outdoors led me to try to actually sit down and look at it and be like all right how can i find something that i want to do for work that i will enjoy um and at the same time being able to share what i love with everyone else so all the signs kind of ended up pointing directly towards what I'm doing now with uh, having the guided fly fishing, you know, service and doing all that. So that's super cool, man. So basically, you've been fishing your whole life, right? So yeah. Mm-hmm. Started at a young age and just kind of fell in love with it. So, like, at what point did you realize? Like, did you realize at first, like, this is exactly what I want to do for work, or was there an opportunity that came up, or was there just m- this moment where you realized, hey, I could actually do something with this? Um, in a more of a professional standpoint, when was that moment, or if there was one? Yeah, there, there definitely was. Um, I would say I think it was for my like thirteenth birthday that it was. My parents got me a uh, a guided trip on the Chattahoochee River, actually, for me and one of my other buddies, Miles, and um, we went out and we were going down the river. And the guy that we had that was our guide was just awesome, you know, big, huge beard down to his chest and hair, you know, way down to like his lower back and um, <laughs> just crazy, awesome dude um, who I still stay in touch with now. Actually, I'm still good friends with him to this day. But it was leaving that moment, I um, mean, leaving that trip, I had always thought of like fishing and hunting as something that I like to do and something that, you know, the goal was to get a job where you'd always have time to do it. But after being on the river all day with him and talking with him, I was like, man, you gotta be kidding me. You can actually do this and this is a job. Mm-hmm. So after I guess he was really the one that was responsible for it. So I blame him if anybody. But yeah. Yeah. That's super cool. Mm-hmm. So I I don't know if you've experienced the same thing. Um a lot of guys I talk to or, or listen to in the outdoors industry, like whether it be a guide like yourself or somebody who takes people or any kind of guide, takes some taking somebody on hunting trips, anything like that. Or somebody that ends up like working sales in the industry, basically anything that entails the outdoors. Like one thing I hear a lot about is like some people will say, "Oh, well, I, I don't know if I would go the professional route with something you're so passionate about, because you don't want your hobbies and you don't want your interests and things you do for fun and get away to turn into work." Would you say that that lines up with like kind of how you 
feel about the sport? Has it become like more like a work thing or is it just like you're going out there, you know, doing the thing you, you enjoy and you get paid for it? Yeah, that's a that's a big one there. That's one that you hear a lot about and I was actually pretty concerned about when I was first looking at getting into guiding and everything. Um because, you know, you always hear, like you're saying, you always hear the stories of guys being like, oh, well, yeah, you know, I used to love to fish, but then I guided for five years, and now I hate, you know, I hate to do it, and I'd rather go, you know, stay, sit inside or do whatever. And I really didn't want that to happen to me, but still loved it enough that, it, you know, and I was just so set on doing it that I went ahead and went for it. And I can say now I'm about three and a half years into it, and every free moment I get, I'm out fishing myself, so... I mean, even the, even now we were talking about it earlier. You know, even my I don't even hunt much anymore because I'm so wrapped up in fishing now that um, you know, even though it's my job, it's still my passion and right. I love to do it. But it definitely is if you don't have any variety in what you do. So like for me, it's been more like you know Monday through Saturday I'm taking guys catching trout all the time and we're chasing big trout and uh, we're for the most part we're up in Blue Ridge or Helen or Clarksville, and uh, we're just going after, you know, trophy trout. So when I get a day off, typically the last thing I want to do at that point is to go and chase big trout. Mm -hmm. Um, Unless, now there have been times where, you know, I see that big guy and I can't get somebody else on that huge brown trout, and then, oh, okay, well, I can slip in and go get him. Then I like to go down there with the buddy, and we'll go and chase after some, some of the guys that we know, you know, nobody else could get. For the most yeah. part, and most of the time we can't get either, but it's still fun to try. <laughs> but um, you know, I, I think that now for me it's been more chasing bass and chasing striper on the fly, and you know, just being able to change it up and keep things fresh has been great. And I, I don't I don't know um, where the whole burnout thing comes from, but I, I I guess that if you were doing the exact same thing every day, and then when you wanted to go have fun, you're you know you're what you like to do beforehand before you started doing it professionally was mm-hmm. um, exactly what you're doing now professionally. I could see that, but for me, there's enough of a variety where it's not an issue. So. Yeah, and I've heard you talk about a lot about variety in that, and like one of the things kind of hitting on what you were saying was like variety is, you know, of course, always good. Variety is the spice of life, mm-hmm. so they say, or is that, is that, what, is that the yeah. saying? Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, if it's not the saying, it is now, but anyway. Um, so basically adding a variety to what you do like like you were saying going out chasing trophy trout or big trout or whatever it is that your client wants I don't think you can really get tired of you know after you're doing your job and chasing after certain things catching bass on a fly rod I mean how could you get tired of that that's that's something that I want to do something I've never done but I've seen like I've seen guys talk about catching bass or striper or whatever on a fly rod I can only imagine you know what that's like and I can't imagine ever getting tired of that yeah no so. it's it, it's fun and it is cool too because a lot of guys you'll be talking to them and everybody thinks of uh fly fishing as fly fishing for trout and a river runs through it and mm-hmm. you know Montana or Wyoming whatever right. it is um and then when you first bring up that hey you know we're catching stripers on fly rods or we're catching big bass on fly rods I can't even haul one in on a spinning rod <laughs> But yeah, it just it, it blows people's minds most of the time. But I mean, you can't everything from guys are going down to South America now and chasing the arapaima and peacock bass and stuff. On have you seen those arapaima? Yep. Oh my gosh! Yeah, dude. yeah, it's like got, the dinosaur fish kind of thing, mm-hmm. dude. 
If you don't, if you've never heard of arapaima or anything, I, I'm not sure how you spell it. What, I'm gonna look it up right here. I think it's like A R O P I M A or something. It's like the, isn't it the largest freshwater fish? I don't, I'm gonna look it up. Yeah, right I don't here. know well enough to say, but I do know that they get huge. I have, they first got popular when they're on river monsters and. Yes, dude. It's okay. A R A P A I M A. Uh, let's see. Native to the Amazon. And it's got like the genus name and all this stuff on here. Declined in the native range due to overfishing and habitat loss. Hate when that happens. But yeah, um, so speaking of variety um, and, and fishing different places and stuff, I, I understand, you know, I've known you for a few, ne- few years now. Um, you've done some fishing over in Alaska, haven't you? Yeah, that was actually um, how I sort of got into it. I would say um, after I went straight up to Alaska for the first time five days after our high school graduation. We, you know, packed up there, and I was planning on going to college up in Boone, North Carolina. And then, you know, kind of ended up working out where it was going to be a little bit more expensive to get up there than I thought. Mm -hmm. Um, And then also at the same time, I had the job offer to go up to this lodge in Alaska pop up at about the same time, and it kind of ended up being a no-brainer where I said, you know. I'm going to, and I, at least, at first I had planned on, I said, well, you know, at least for a year, I'm going to take kind of a gap year and go up there and uh, go and guide in Alaska, but I got up there and just fell in love, and it was awesome. Loved kind of the culture um, around being a fishing guide, and just learned a ton being up there about fishing, not about fishing, you know, it was kind of like the, I would say that was like the fastest like growing up experience that anyone could ever imagine getting thrown to the wolves. Yeah. You know, in an almost literal sense. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was gonna so, say. But yeah, we we spent the whole you know, whole first first summer there fighting off bears and you know, catching salmon and everything and that was it was a blast. That's crazy. Yeah. So was the majority of your fishing up there salmon or what what was the majority of things that like, you know, say you're a client well first of all, were most of your client clientele um, native to Alaska, or were they coming over from the United States or somewhere else to go on like a vacation trip? Like, tell me more about that. Yeah, no, actually, most of them were from the lower 48 for okay, sure. Okay, okay. And then you would have a lot of people from really like the Pacific Northwest, you know, over into Michigan, even. Right. Um, who would actually be the ones that were coming up there? Pretty ones much that are used to the cold already, kind of. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Yeah, I guess for whatever reason here in the South, a lot of times, you know, Alaska, you know, doesn't really come to the mind. We Mm -hmm. don't really ever ponder about, you know, the wilderness of Alaska. Right. But I guess for everybody in the Northwest, it's a little bit more common to hear about, you know, great trips, whatever it is. So I just, I guess that that's the reason why. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was kind of interesting to see. It was mostly guys from the lower 48 and mostly guys from the Pacific Northwest to even the Midwest. Right. So um, is what's the main species that they're after? What's their main goal going out and guiding with you? Well, the marquee fish for us, you know, each camp is a little bit different in how they market it. But um, the marquee fish for us was the rainbow trout for sure. Okay. And we were so far upriver, you know, we were, God, I guess we were a hundred... I think we're just over 100 miles um, up the Nushigak River off of Bristol Bay. Okay. And by the time all the salmon would get to us, except for the silver salmon, um, they had already turned and had been in fresh water long enough to where the meat wasn't good and they didn't, you know, they wouldn't fight as well because they had been, they had, 
you know, once the salmon hits the fresh water, they stop eating completely. Really? Yeah, so they, they come in, and the moment they start coming up the river to try and go and spawn, they stop eating, and their body just slowly starts deteriorating as they make their way up the river. So by the time they get to nearing the end of their life, when they get up to us, uh, they're, I mean, they're real. Some of them, even when you would catch them or, you know, hook them, you really wouldn't be trying to catch these. Uh, you'd try to grab a hold of them, and they'd even be falling apart at times when you grab really? them. It's pretty wild. You know, we always have to say you have to keep a lookout for all the, the zombie salmon as you're yeah. going up the river because you'd hook into one of those things, and they're still, you know, 20 pounds, 30 pounds sometimes. But it's like hooking into a you know a log that's going down the river. It's not going to run and fight and do all the things that a fish would. It just it feels like dead weight. Really. Yeah. So is the like them hitting fresh water and stopping feeding? Is that what turns the meat? Like, is that what starts that deterioration, or or what what is it? Yeah, definitely. Because they start the further they get up the river, the more of their like fat reserves, and then you know just same thing with humans. You know. If, uh, you know, you're real malnourished or anything, your body will start using either muscle or fat to kind of fuel itself. Same mm-hmm. thing with the fish. It'll be, first what they'll do is they'll burn off all the fat, which is a lot of times what gives the meat, the, meat, uh, the you know, the most oil, the best flavor and everything. So they'll burn through that fat real fast and then they'll get straight into their muscle and that's when they really start deteriorating is once they burn off that fat. So. Mm-hmm. Then I guess that's why they're not that undesirable at that time. So rainbow trout, y'all were going after. Are you guys harvesting those out of the river? Are you catch and release, or does it vary? How does that work up there? Oh yeah, no, all catch and release. Those are our those are our business partners up there. So right, yeah, <laughs> we catch you know in a summer sometimes we catch the same trout ten or a dozen times. Really, and you just always know that he's there. And some days you try to catch him, and some days you wouldn't. Some days you you know give him a day off, and yeah. But, yeah, definitely, I think that's one big thing, you know, even as now guiding anywhere, catch and release, mm-hmm. man, it works, and it's, it's pretty crazy to see it. So when you're off shift, or when you don't have any clients with you and you're going to go out, you know, maybe you take your wife or some buddies out for some, some trout fishing, mm-hmm. what are your thoughts or feelings on catch and release versus catch and keep, or taking your, what is it, eight limit here yeah. in North Georgia? Mm-hmm. So what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, for the most part... Me myself, I don't, I don't care to eat trout. I don't think they taste great, so I end up letting all of them go for the most part. Mm-hmm. But now, let's say there's somebody who really does like trout. I think it's, you know, it's fine if they're stocked fish for the most part. I, I still think that even with the stockers, if we could just take what you're going to eat and take what you need and no more. You know, some guys, it's like every time they go out fishing, they've got to get eight. You know, and they've got to bring them all back home with them. And, it's, you know, mm-hmm. that's that's the whole goal of going out. Um, but if it's something where it's like occasionally, you know, oh, I want to eat some trout, and then go and keep your eight, or you don't even have to keep eight, you know, keep four or five, that's plenty of trout for, right. you know, a meal or two. But um, I, I would say the only time I personally keep trout now is if we're backpacking somewhere. And, mm-hmm. you know, we don't want to pack in all of our food. We can just pack in rods and go catch fish and cook them over the fire. Then yep. we'll do that. Yep. But besides that, I'm, I'm all catch and release. Yeah, I would I would say the same. Mainly because, I mean, in, I have eaten my fair share of trout. I, I'm a fan of the taste because I fry them, which is, I guess, tastes like any other fish when you fry them. But there's something mm-hmm. about going out and catching your own food and, and harvesting that meat and cooking it yeah, for definitely. your family or for yourself. Like, that, that's, that's fun. But I do get what you're saying, like, with the guys showing up 
you know, sitting down at eight in the morning, trying to catch their eight and then leaving. Cause I, I've hunted or hunted, I've fished plenty of parts of river up here where I'll show up, you know, in my fly gear and my waders, you know, getting ready to get set up and uncle Rogers over there sitting on his home Depot bucket. I mean, just tossing them in there and pretty sure it's probably over eight, but I'm not going to say anything to him, but still it's those, those kind of guys that almost ruin like the fun of, of catching trout in that area. Cause they're sitting there, you know, 10 times out of 10, a stocked trout is going to go after their corn kernels that they're throwing. And I'm mm-hmm. out there trying to be elusive, trying to be tactical and get in there with a certain type of fly. And I'm over here, you know, for every five catches he's making and throwing in the bucket, I'm, I'm making one catch. Yeah. So, and that's part of it. That, that's part of the whole, the whole fun of it too, especially where we are, where it's real, you know, you'll go out some places out west or um, even further north into parts of North Carolina and Tennessee, I've noticed that it's a little bit more, um, I guess a little bit more common for everybody to do catch and release. More like a wild feel kind of. Yeah, yeah, well, not even that. Like, you'll, you'll be right in the middle of, like, on the Tuckaseegee River. You could be right behind Western Carolina University and, you know, right there in the town. Dude. And, yeah, have, having guys. But, you know, everybody's out there fishing. But for the most part, you know, obviously in the winter, you have to catch and release it. But um, it even it seems like more often than not, you see guys that are out, out there just doing catch and release fishing for fun and uh, the fishing stays really great right there in that stretch because of that and even these stock fish get to grow big and you have an awesome fishery there because of it right whereas here you know now it is where you kind of have to ends up being you're hunting down those places where you're trying to get back in the mountains and get away from the crowds and mm-hmm. you know trying to get away from where you see in balled up line on banks and right all, the, all that good stuff but and it is it's it's a it's a bittersweet deal because um once you get away from it it's awesome it's mm-hmm. so cool it's the contrast of it is what a lot of times makes it so great but mm-hmm. uh, it it does kind of you know it's not the most convenient thing in the world to have to get in the car and beat down mountain roads for probably 30 45 minutes before you can get to a spot to get yep. away from them so yep so i Speaking of Western Carolina, I, t- I took a trip um, up to Asheville. I think it was it was a few months ago, and I decided to to roll through Western Carolina's campus, which is beautiful. And uh, there was a spot on the how do you say it Tuske- Tuskegee Tuskegee Tuskegee, and so I saw the sign of Tuskegee Ridge- River. Gosh, I'm getting all jumbled up, but I've heard a lot of about the fishing out there. And so this was right as like people were starting to get out. The cold was starting to break a little bit. And so I decided to, you know, take a little detour and run across the river. And I kid you not, like I probably counted over 50 fishermen within a quarter mile span standing in the middle of the river, all fly fishing. I mean, anybody from kids to old dudes to young guys out there, you know, up to their chest in water. I mean, I've never in my life seen that many people in one spot, fly fishing. It, it, to me, it looked like a nightmare because there's no way I would want to get out there with everybody and the chances of 50 dudes standing next to me and, and me catching a trout. I don't know if it was a school. I don't know what they were doing, like teaching classes, which I, it didn't look like that. It looked like everybody out there was just trying to fish. Yeah, I've never seen anything like that. Yeah, it's because it's that delayed harvest and they, uh, they pack it full of fish in the winter. And I mean, It just, had to be for that many people to be out there. Yeah, they just slam it full. And we've been out there sometimes... Where I've gotten to where even 
unless the the flows are right on that river where they're letting water out of the dam and you know mm-hmm. raising it enough to where uh, it makes it a little too high for wading, which mm-hmm. is when we'll use the boat. And it's great because there's nobody out there, mm-hmm. and we're just floating down in the boat, and we can still fish everywhere we want to be. Mm-hmm. But I've been I've been out there before on a a weekend where it's like you know bring your own rock, same thing. Mm-hmm. Like you're talking about, you go down through some stretches, and it's just amazing how many people will stand right next to each other. Yeah, and you know you just gotta fish one spot for like three hours because mm-hmm. nobody's moving. Yeah. So that yeah that that uh, that kills me. I don't I don't like I don't like playing that game. Yeah, I, I wouldn't either. No. So um, so when you're going out, we'll switch back a little bit about to uh, to talk about your uh, guiding business a little bit. So you do guide out of a drift boat. So would you say that a hundred percent of your guides, like say I'm going to go guide with you, a hundred percent are going to go in that drift boat, or how do, do you like yeah. alter it to what they want? How does that work? Yeah. So I I do. Like, you have a couple different offerings, which is great, like the variety we were talking about. Um, if I was in the drift boat every day before too long, I'd hate getting in that drift boat. Right. But what I would say is it's maybe, depending on the year, it's pretty much 50-50. In the spring, I would say we're in the drift boat a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, just because of that cold water. Yeah, cause, well, because of the cold water and the fishing's just great on mm-hmm. the, you know, the tailwaters. Um during the spring for the most part but it's kind of great everywhere during the Mm -hmm. spring then the heat of summer you'll get where a lot of these smaller streams or like your private trophy trout places like that they'll Mm -hmm. close to protect their fish when the water starts getting up around 70 you know 71 72 degrees Mm -hmm. and when they do that then we're stuck we can only go out of the drift boat for the most part so okay during the during the heat of summer we're pretty much in the drift boat and that's it Mm -hmm. but um, it's definitely, it, it's a pretty good mix. Yeah. I would say. Okay. So do you like one more than the other or, or what do you think? So I'm, I, I would assume that in the drift boat, you're covering a lot more water, right? Yeah. So would you say that like improves your chances of success or does it, how, does it change the way you fish? Like how does that work? Yeah. Um, it kind of depends, you know, I would say I really like being in the drift boat more because it's more of a challenge to me. Mm-hmm. The river, it's public. Anybody can go down through there in their canoe or kayak or in the, you know, the public accesses. Everybody can get out there and fish it. And then it's up to me as a guide to be able to take two people who most of the time have never fly fished before and go down there and catch more fish than everybody else mm-hmm. you know, going down the river. And at first, it was real difficult. And the more time that you spend on the river, kind of the more you start learning it and learning you know, where the fish are, what they're eating, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And that's one reason why I like the drift boat is because I like, I like the puzzle, I like figuring it out. Yeah. And then it's also like my office too, you know, you're right there and I've got everything set up. That's how I true. like it. It's all within an arm's reach there in the boat. And I'll, I like going down there and doing it, you know, very comfortable. But waiting is nice at times too because you, a lot of times you can get right up next to these fish and you don't have to cast as far. Mm-hmm. You can typically see the fish a little bit better in the smaller streams where we can't float. Um, but a lot of these private kind of trophy trout waters, too, are sort of like what we were talking about with the Takasiji, where you get there and it kind of takes away the wild feel of it, where the mm-hmm. tailwater really does have that wild feel at times because it is just, I mean, it's, it's public and it's there and it's a challenge and, you know, you're just battling against the, with the wit of those fish. Mm-hmm. Um 
whereas on the small streams, it's where they've stocked them in and then they fed them and grown them nice and big and they haven't seen but probably a dozen flies in their whole life. So right. you can go up there and if you can make a halfway decent cast, they're going to bite. And they don't behave like real trout because mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're basically like pets right there in the river. Um, but at times, too, that can be hard after they get educated at the end of the year or whatever it is. You know, it, even even pet fish don't bite sometimes. Too. Yeah. You, you got you yeah. to try to figure it out. We've had plenty of tough days out on these rivers where they've stocked them and they fed them and they're sitting right there. They're, you know, 10 feet away from us and they're just moving out of the way of every single thing we try to give them. Hmm. But I don't know. I would say that if I had to pick one, I'd do the drift boat. But I wouldn't be stuck to only being on the drift boat. That's right. Got to have that variety. Yeah. Spice of life. Mm-hmm. Um, so you you've been doing Bowman Fly Fishing. Name your company. Um, yeah. How long have you been? How, how long has that been running? How long have you strictly said this is you know this is my company and, and we're doing this? When did you start? Really? Um, I would say just about a year ago. Okay. So relatively recently, I was doing more things where it was kind of just guys that I've met in Alaska or whatever, come in contact with growing up, mm-hmm. whatever it is, that have said, hey, we want to go out. You think you could take us out? And I'll say, yeah, sure. And, you know, I just kind of do it. It's just like buddies, you know. But um, now this year, that's started happening enough, and I've started realizing kind of just how much of a market there is. Mm-hmm. Um, for this, for the guided fishing trips here in North Georgia and how awesome it is where I went ahead and just did everything, you know, started bow and fly fishing, designed the website, got all the marketing stuff together and, um, really started trying to push it a little mm-hmm. bit more and spend a little bit more money on actually trying to reach people instead mm-hmm. of being reached by people. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's paid off. It's definitely still one of those things where, especially how the internet works, it's a, a game where... Whoever's been there the longest typically, you know, it's the one that gets more business right. a lot of times. But there's definitely ways around that too. And it's been a big learning experience figuring it all out, but it's been a lot of fun too. Yeah. So what would you say would be one of the biggest advantages that you've discovered in doing this? Because, you know, like you said, there's a lot going into it. I'm sure you were blind to some things that are factors of other businesses or other barriers to entry that, you know, you're treading new waters really with starting this company, you mm-hmm. know, on your own, you know, you're the sole owner and operator. So what, what would you say is like the biggest advantage you feel like you've had or the biggest kind of piece to the puzzle that you've figured out and that this helped moved you forward? Yeah. Um, I would say that the biggest thing that I've learned and this comes this this happens both in like person to person interactions mm-hmm. and then also just through I guess like the characteristics of your business online mm-hmm. even um, is that people are only going to take you as seriously as you take yourself right so when I would go when I would talk to different manufacturers of equipment and say hey I'm trying to outfit my service this is what I need and, you know, can we work out a, you know, some sort of pro purchase program here? I want to equip the whole, you know, have enough for clients to use. If I were to call and be like, well, hey, you know, I don't really know. I just kind of started this and, mm-hmm. you know, can I get a couple? Would that be all right? Instead yeah. of calling calling up and being like, all right, this is what I need. This is what I'm looking to spend. You know, what are your prices? Can you give me a quote? Work me up an invoice? And just going in really confidently. Mm-hmm. Um, then you come off 
you know, it's just a lot more professional that way. Okay. Same thing with clients when you have talking to potential clients on the phone or um, when you're taking when I'm taking somebody out on the river. If I'm going down through and every person I take out feels like this is my first day on the job, mm-hmm. they're not going to come back and they're not going to tell their friends to come back. They're going to go look for you know the guy a couple towns over who's been doing it for 15 years and say, oh, right. you know, experience is the key here. Yeah. But if I get out there, I'm like, hey, you know, this is how it is. This is where it is. And we get this done and we'll catch fish and just go through there and just have a posture where I know in myself, I know that I could go out here and catch fish and I know what I'm, I know that I know what I'm doing. But a lot of times the, I guess kind of our tendency is to be timid interacting with people where we're just kind of trying to tread lightly mm-hmm. and it comes off a lot of times it's just kind of being unsure being inexperienced whereas if I go in and I'm real confident mm-hmm. and real matter of fact then a lot of times it really mm-hmm. people pick up on that right and uh, you get a lot more repeat business people really feel like you know like I've had a lot of guys be like man you know 21 years old he's been only been doing this for three years but you sure, you know, you can teach well, or, you, you know, you sure know this river and all that. I'm like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm out here most days out of the yeah. year and everything. And uh, it's just a, a big part of it that I've kind of realized, and that's led to a lot more repeat business and uh, a lot more open doors for me mm-hmm. just from being confident. Right. So that, that's huge, man, because one thing I want to add to that is, like, you can be – anybody can be good at something. Anybody can – well, I say that. Take that with a grain of salt. People, there's there's definitely people that are more inclined to different skills than others. There are gifts that certain people have. Mm-hmm. But when you set your mind to something and when you come up with goals and you're goal-oriented towards some type of skill, whether that's fly fishing, whether that's hunting, whether that's you know running a marathon, training for that, mm-hmm. you know whatever it may be, anybody that puts the right amount of effort and mind work into it and gets the hard things done first can be good at something. But what I love about Bowman Fly Fish uh, Bowman Fly Fishing, sorry, and what you guys or what you stand for is you're taking that realization that like, yes, I know how to catch fish and I can go out there just as much as the next guy and I know I'm gonna catch those fish. And there's, you know, a thousand other guys like me that know how to go out to the river and know how to catch a fish. But what sets you apart from the competition and what sets you apart from um, from other people that clients have interacted with or other guides is that confidence and yeah I'm 21 years old yeah I'm young like you know I may not have the most life experience but I know what I'm going to do and I know I'm going to help you catch these fish and that's how it's going to be and I think that just adds measures upon measures of value um, to number one your personality because everybody needs confidence and they need to believe in themselves but also to your business Mm -hmm. because like you were saying if you were to step in there and be like oh well you know, I'm I know I'm a young guy, and I'm just gonna go out there, and you know, we'll try our best. Like, thank you guys. You know, this this really helps. Like, appreciate your business. Like that, you're gonna get it done that day. You know, you're gonna have a customer that day. Great, but are you gonna have a customer tomorrow? Mm-hmm. That's the questionable thing. So I think, you know, to anybody that is seeking like some sort of wisdom or, or advice on either starting their own business or or walking out, whether it be getting their GED and moving on to the working world or, or graduating with a diploma or whatever it may be. I think that's one of the biggest pieces of advice that I try to take myself and one of the biggest pieces of advice I, I encourage anybody to take is just having the confidence to go in there 
know what you're about, you know, get your, you know, T's crossed and your I's dotted, have everything ready to go, do the hard things, and then the rest of it can be easy if she's come out there with the with the right swagger and mindset, you know what I mean? Yeah, and I think too, you know, I guess right now we're touching a little bit more on, you know, your leadership uh, part of the podcast, but I just want to add on to it too, and this goes for, um, has been a huge help for me, and it's something that even goes beyond business a lot of times, um, but you've got to know who, like I would have never gone to Alaska for the first time if I wouldn't have had somewhat of a grasp on who I am mm-hmm. as an individual, and I think especially for guys, um, that's a big thing, is you've got to really spend some time, especially right you know earlier in life, trying to figure out who you are, what you like, what you want to do, um, before you try to go out and start trying to, you know, lead other people or jump into like, because I couldn't have jumped in and done Bowman fly fishing if I was like, well, I don't really know if I like business that much, or I don't really know if I'm going to enjoy the responsibility of, you know, keeping up with my finances and all this, or keeping up with trying to, you know, do all of my, you know, different business aspects. Because you're running a company. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's on a very small scale, but you're definitely, but I'm also the only employee for the most part. I have other guys that'll work for me on occasion, but when you talk about full-time employees, I'm the only one. Right. So I've got to do everything, and if I was the whole time was kind of floundering around, like, I don't know if this is, you know... Me, I don't you know if I want to do this, whatever. That's when you you stop putting as much effort into it. That's when you miss stuff on you know even keeping up to date with your finances and tracking all that. If you if you're not invested in it and you're not sure if as a person this is who you are, what you want to do, you're not going to put your hundred percent into it. So right, I think that that's that's the big thing there. Whether it be outdoors or moving forward, like. You know, in anything, you know, mm-hmm. starting business-wise, it's a uh, you've got to you've got to be pretty confident in, mm-hmm. in who you are. Mm-hmm. So another thing that you know, I'm glad you said that because that's that's one thing that I try to hold true to myself about is you know because I I'll be graduating um, the end of, uh, or really halfway through next year, hopefully when everything works out, and I hear kind of the same thing for myself and also from a lot of my peers. Um, is the fact that like, okay, well, I'm about to be out of college and I'm going to be on my own, going to be entering the workforce. Like, I, I don't know what the heck to do. You know, I'm, I'm going to apply here. I'm going to apply there. I don't know anything about this or I'm just going to throw myself there or the first person that gives me a job offer, I'm just going to take. And that has been me on and off for the last eight months of my life, just trying to figure out like what it is I'm going to do or what it is that I'm, you know, how I'm going to enter a certain field in the workforce and one thing that I keep trying to remind myself of is you've got your whole life to figure out you know how you're going to make your money but spend the time and, and take the necessary um, steps whether that's through faith whether that's through learning from other people whether that's through um, wise counsel you know mm-hmm. I, I like to use a mix of all three of those but it's just figuring out like you said figure out who you are like figure out your likes your dislikes and create a standard for yourself that you're not going to break for anybody. Because to me, there's no amount of money or there's no pension or salary per year that's going to be worth your dignity and that also mm-hmm. is going to be worth your happiness. I yeah. Because there's no dollar amount really on happiness. You know, there's things that you can use to subside that, but 
when it really comes down to it, when you wake up in the morning and you enjoy what you do and you, you take the necessary steps now where it's hard, where your buddies may be getting jobs out of college and making, you know, a good amount of money per year and you're sitting back like, well, I haven't found that yet. Like, what the heck do I do? Do I take this telemarketer job to sit and talk to people that don't want to talk to me all day? Do I take this, whatever it may be, a job mm-hmm. that does not interest you, but it, it puts, you know, you, you got to pay the bills. You got to yeah, do what you got to right. do. But from a long-term standpoint, like, it's way worth taking the necessary time and learning to not compare yourself to what your peers are doing in the moment in order to achieve that long-term, like getting yourself in the right place and finding what your niche is and how it is you're going to, you're going to go about a happy life. So, yeah, no, definitely. I totally agree. You know, that's, that's a, that's a tough one where coming out of uh, college, especially and trying to get in there with, you know, a bunch of other people that are coming out with degrees looking for the same thing as you are. It's pretty, it's a, you know, it's a pretty saturated deal trying to find a job, even with a degree sometimes. You know, I can't say I went to Alaska right after high school, so I couldn't really tell you too much about how that one goes. <laughs> what a life you live. Yeah, but um, I, just, I just know from being around it and then from running into a lot of guys, I don't know how many guys I have guided with that are, you know, got their bachelor's, master's, whatever it is. You know, got, mm-hmm. yeah, guys have always gone into doing graduate studies and then have gotten to... You know, a point where they're just like, oh man, what? I, I just want to be a fishing guide. Yeah. And, you know, they're fishing guides now. So my goal is to kind of do that reverse. Maybe I'll go out be a fishing guide, and then if I'm like, oh man, you know, I just really need a degree. Then you know, I can go back and get a degree. But, yep. Yep. But for the uh, for the time being, I just you know love it, love it now. So awesome. So um, if I were a person trying to either get into fly fishing or you know on vacation trying to take a trip here or you know maybe it's just a weekend with the family or or with a buddy mm-hmm. what's the best way for me to find bowman fly fishing where, where do i go uh just to google it just okay. google bowman fly fishing for the most part and it shows up um and usually you know right up right up top thanks to some you know the ways around getting getting around have to be on there for a while but um yeah, I then you know I've put out a lot of material just within like little local local businesses, state parks and stuff that are close by, places where people usually go when they're up for a week or a weekend. Um, that just kind of try to spread you know website, phone number, email, pictures, all that good stuff. Cool. But, well, yeah, if you're in the area, you're not in the area. You know, it doesn't matter if you're from Alaska or wherever. If you want a great trip in a great time and some, some great knowledge from a great dude, go check out Bowman Fly Fishing. Or if you're not interested in fly fishing, just go check him out because he's got some sweet, brown, luscious locks. <laughs> some eye candy for you anyway. But, yeah, thanks for, for coming on the podcast, man. I, I know I enjoyed it. I hope the listeners enjoy it just as much as I did. Um, a lot of knowledge you got, man, and I, I can't wait to see what, you know, the next 10 years of, of your life or your business or whatever it is you end up doing, man, I think you're going on a great route, and I really appreciate having you on. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I'm excited to see this is an awesome idea for a podcast, and I love the theme and the direction where this is going, so I'll be likewise just excited to see where this goes. So Awesome, man. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in, and we will catch you next time on Life, Leadership, and the Pursuit of Wilderness. You guys have a good one.